I'm going to be preaching on Psalm 23 this morning. Almost three years ago, July of 2019, when I preached on it for the first time, and preached for the first time ever. Since then, I've preached it. I think this is my fourth time now preaching it, so I've had almost three years to look at it, look, look at it again, and reanalyze it each time. Each time you see something you didn't see before. So with that, I guess I'll ask that we stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Pray with me. Father God, I ask that you prepare our hearts this morning for your, your message. Open our eyes and ears so that we may see and hear more about you. Show us the hopelessness from within us and reveal the hope found outside of us in your son Jesus. May your words be heard in accordance to your will. Amen. If you have ever attended a funeral, then chances are good you have heard Psalm 23. For instance, I had the honor of reading this psalm in January at my wife Lexi's grandpa's funeral. This psalm seems to be the go-to scripture reading during sad and difficult times. For good reason, too, I would emphasize. I have said before that one of the reasons I appreciate this psalm so much is because of its raw, realistic, hopeful message. A message that can be well-received from a weeping crowd. A message that never grows dull no matter how many times you hear it. However, it would seem that the psalm before this one, Psalm 22, would be the more appropriate psalm during a time of mourning. The psalm that begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If those words sound familiar, it's because those are the very words that Jesus cried from the cross, a time in his life where it appeared to the world that he was facing the final defeat of death. He was facing all the sin of the world, and those are the words he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a statement that resonates quite well with a crowd full of weeping and sadness, a crowd feeling as if God had once and for all left your side because of the pain that has been inflicted on you. So why am I talking about Psalm 22 instead of Psalm 23? Why is Psalm 23 a better fit for funerals instead of Psalm 22? It's because of the hope that arose on the third day. It's because of the care that Psalm 23 displays to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That just because we may feel abandoned and hopeless, there is a great king that has come to rescue us from that despair nonetheless. Just as boldly and joyously we announced he is risen a couple months ago, we also boldly and joyously proclaim the hope and care that we find in Psalm 23. That even in our darkest valley, we have comfort that cannot be stolen from us. Well, it's very obvious this morning that we are not at a funeral. 
That's not to say, however, that this church is free from sorrow and struggles. Perhaps you're facing a scary diagnosis. Perhaps your family is in disarray. Perhaps you're dealing with addiction, depression, or anxiety. I could go on. The point is that pain and despair are not strictly limited to an hour-long funeral service or the days around a funeral. We each carry our own burdens, and that is where this psalm meets us this morning. Like I said, I have preached on this text a few times before, and each time I study this beautiful psalm, I am shown something new or different I did not see before. We always have to remind ourselves of Jesus' words in John chapter 5, verse 39, where he says, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that from them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Jesus tells us that all the scriptures that were written thousands of years before he walked this earth were written about him. As Cliff read for us in John chapter 10 earlier, Jesus tells us that he is our good shepherd. So even as David writes this psalm glorifying God as his shepherd, we know that he is also writing about God incarnate as a shepherd king that will come as a descendant of David and become the perfect king that David never was. A king who prefers the title of shepherd over ruler. David writes about a shepherd king who truly cares for his flock. A king who deeply loves his people. Psalm 23 gives us three representations in which God loves and cares for his people through the manifestation of Christ as our good shepherd. The first example is the abundance and rest we find in Jesus. This psalm starts off by saying, with the Lord as our shepherd, we lack nothing. Immediately, we find a very crucial truth in this first verse. We see that with Christ as our good shepherd, everything we would ever need is provided for. We lack nothing. So if we lack nothing now, and we'll never again need anything other than whatever is already provided, we can say that we have an abundance. Our world and our sinful flesh have twisted our minds to think that abundance is only found in ourselves, sorry, only found in the things of this earth, and we can find it ourselves if we look hard enough. Seeking abundance on our own is like infants trying to feed themselves. The essential food is there, but they have no ability to consume it unless someone feeds it to them. So is the case with us searching for abundance in creation. Only when the Creator feeds us abundance can we consume it. True, sustaining, and life-giving abundance can only be found in our Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. It is only within Jesus Christ that we can honestly say that we lack nothing. And when we lack nothing, when we find sustaining abundance, only then will we find rest. Let me ask you something this morning. When was the last time you found rest in any material possessions you have. Even better, how about yourself? When was the last time you stood in the mirror, looked in your wallet, and found a restful feeling? So restful of a feeling, mind you, that you lost all your desire to have more and look better. You probably haven't ever done that. But if we use our lifestyle as a representation, I guarantee you that it affirms exactly those actions. The rest in this psalm is perhaps understood the best from the perspective of sheep. These beginning verses, after all, talk about a shepherd 
in relation to his sheep. And in Isaiah 53, we read that we, like sheep, don't need to complicate the meaning of this text with our gifted human intellect. Instead, let's assume for a second the role of sheep. Now, just like infants, sheep need help caring for themselves. So as Jesus as our good shepherd and as us as his sheep, we discover that not only does he lead us to the green pastures and still waters for survival, for an abundance of life, but he also ensures our rest by making us lie down. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 11, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Many of you probably wondering how you can obtain this wonderful and perfect rest in Jesus. We look no further than God's word and his church. After all, Jesus is the very word of God, and he is the head of the body of Christ, which is the church. So to find the rest of our good shepherd, we open our Bibles and we soak in the truth it provides. We come to church and become vulnerable with other members of the body and realize that we are not alone in the pain of this world. This world very easily corrupts us. The problem is, though, without the word of God, without the preaching of the gospel in church, we can't determine the corruption from the truth. We quickly lose sight of the everlasting rest of our Father and start to exchange that for temporary rest like money. Sin then once again corrupts us into thinking that if we just had a thousand more dollars or just that one more thing, we will be at rest again. This is a vicious cycle that cannot be broken by our own strength. Praise God that he provided us with a good shepherd that gives us abundant rest and also has the power to break that vicious cycle, has the power to give us a refreshed and restored soul. The beginning of verse 3 tells us that he refreshes my soul. The psalm moves away from the shepherd and sheep imagery in the coming verses, but not before one last proclamation. David proclaims confidently that as we are receiving the rest of our shepherd, we are also graciously receiving the refreshment of our valuable souls. As the Holy Spirit is leading us in the word of God and leading us through the preaching of God's word, he is pointing our eyes to the cross, bringing us to repentance and renewing our soul in Christ. Hear this. While our rest in this world further corrupts our eternal well-being, our rest in Christ further sanctifies our eternal well-being. Friends, it's important for us to realize this morning that the green pastures and still waters that David writes about here cannot be found in an object, in another person, or even in a weekend getaway spot. The rest in Psalm 23 can only be found within these four walls and in God's word. You need them both. So often we lose sight of how important the church of Jesus Christ is to our souls. God's word is crucial, but it must be paired with fellowship of other believers and the preaching of the gospel. God's word is objective truth. However, without the preaching of the word at church, the Bible quickly becomes subjective to us. This is no fault in God's word, but every fault in us. Either we pick out one or two verses we like, 
or we just stop reading it completely. We need to be corrected and held accountable every single week by coming to church and hearing the truth preached. Sitting at home reading the Bible is necessary, but so is church. Open up the Word of God, come to church, and let the Holy Spirit lead you to that everlasting green pastures of refreshing, abundant rest. The second representation of God's love to us through Jesus is our Good Shepherd's comfort in times of trouble. Like I stated earlier, it's very easy to think that God has stopped caring for us during hardships in life. In fact, it's one of the evil one's skillful tactics to try and deceive us into thinking that God has left us when we try and times come our way. I want us to pay attention to the sentence found in verse 3. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. This verse is very clearly telling us that when we are following God, when we are under the care of our good shepherd, the paths we are on will always be for our own good and will always lead us closer to the righteousness of God, which is Jesus Christ. Following Jesus does not mean that we are free from pain, and it does not mean that we will always get what we want. Following Jesus means that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will one day emerge from that valley stronger than we were before and more willing to place our trust in our good shepherd when the next valley comes our way. I promise you, any valley you're facing, any darkness overcoming your life, Jesus is with you. You have no fear of evil. Whether you're in a valley right now or it's yet to come, the way out is simple. Just as we can turn to God's word and his church to find rest, we can also turn to his word and church to find the comfort we need in the darkest valleys. I hope by now you're discovering a common theme. God's word and God's church have been gifted to us so that we may find abundant rest and comfort every single day and every single week if we so choose to seek it. Quite honestly, we should seek his word in church always because we need it, always. You need the word so that we can be reminded of John 16, when Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Or of Romans 8, 38 through 39, where Paul testifies, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need church so that we can discover the love of Christ through his body of believers that Paul just testified in Romans. We need church so we can be comforted with whatever we are facing in life by our brothers and sisters in Christ. The importance of being in God's word and in his church is the difference between rest and fatigue, abundance and lacking, comfort and fear. It is the green pastures and still waters and also the rod and the staff we read about at the end of verse 4. We need the word in the church to protect us like a rod would be used for defending and to guide us as a shepherd's staff is used to guide. God leads us down the paths that take us through our darkest valleys so that we see through the fake, misleading, faulty comfort of our false gods and we seek the perfect comfort 
of our good shepherd. We must remember that no matter how rough of a path we are on, when the Holy Spirit is leading us, we are on a righteous path. A path that leads us always into the arms of our shepherd. A path that takes us through temporary suffering so that we may have eternal, permanent comfort. God gives us rest in abundance through Jesus as our shepherd. He provides comfort to us during the most difficult times in life. And finally, God delights and desires a relationship with us that will last an eternity because of his son, Jesus. The last two verses of this psalm are what theologians would call covenant language. This specific covenant that is referenced in Psalm 23 is called the Davidic covenant, and it speaks of a promise by God that was given to David through the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel 7. The covenant states that a descendant of David will come to establish God's kingdom forever. I won't read this whole chapter, but would encourage you to write it down or read it on your own time if you have it, 2 Samuel 7. I will, however, read one verse from this chapter that relates to the psalm. It's 2 Samuel 7:16, and it says, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This is what God told Nathan and then commanded Nathan to tell David, and it's recorded in 2 Samuel 7. This house is another name for a temple that David's son Solomon would build. It's called a house because it would house God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant. However, as you probably know, this earthly temple or house did not last forever, as it was torn down and rebuilt a few times. And of course, we know that King David's earthly kingdom has not lasted forever. So what is Nathan prophesying about, and what is David speaking of when he says that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? God's throne and God's kingdom can only last forever through Jesus Christ. When we hear this covenant language, we can only think of Jesus. Like God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant finding a stationary housing in the earthly temples of Israel, so too did Jesus come to the earth to establish God's eternal presence with his people. A presence that cannot be destroyed or torn down like the temples were. It is an everlasting presence that allows us to dwell in the Lord's house forever. Not only do we get to be in the Lord's house, we are the honored guest. The honored guest that Jesus came to prepare a place for. You and I are the honored guest that Jesus came to die for so that this world cannot steal us from the seat at the Lord's table. Jesus came to defeat death so that as our enemies surround us, we sit as the anointed guest of honor in the presence of God. We sit with overflowing cups that never run dry with the water of life from our Savior. We need to be reminded of the essential truth that these last two verses remind us of. It contains a truth that goes against everything we have been taught from this world, a truth that comes across as crazy to our fellow neighbors. It is the simple truth that no matter how wealthy or healthy we are, we are ultimately poor in the sight of God if we don't have a seat at the table. Success and health are blessings from God as long as we acknowledge that they came from God instead of being our God. 
Let me say that again. Success and health are blessings from God as long as we acknowledge that they came from God instead of being our God. A simple way to discern one from the other in your own life is to see where your rest and comfort come from. Are you restful and comfortable when your bank account is healthy? Or can you discover rest and comfort in no matter the value of your accounts? Do you look at yourself in disgust because you gained a few pounds? Or do you understand that you are still loved no matter the physical condition you are in? Friends, be smart with your money and take your health seriously. But know that a seat at the table with the Most High God is the only thing that saves you. Don't wake up one day and realize that you spent your whole life chasing arbitrary things. Instead, let the grace of God continue to transform you into the honorary guest in Christ. Find rest and comfort knowing that once you have a spot at the table, Jesus makes certain that you are never again unwelcome in the presence of God. So that God may always turn his face toward you and give you his peace as we hear every Sunday in the benediction. Psalm 23 is a great passage to constantly be reminded of because it gives rest, comfort, and promises an eternal dwelling in the house of the Lord through Jesus. Within these six verses, we find the love of our Savior poured out to us. Verse 6 promises us this. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Unfortunately, one of the challenges of translations, the English language doesn't have a word that matches the Hebrew word that was used for goodness and love, or if you have the ESV, it'd be goodness and mercy. I don't think goodness or love or goodness and mercy, I don't think those two words are very comparable to what the Hebrew word means. The Hebrew word means steadfast love, or love that is never ending, never changing, and never ceasing to exist. It is always in abundance, and it is always chasing us. This love is what we get to be embraced in for eternity. You may be sitting here this morning very well aware of the care of our shepherd, or you could be sitting here this morning hearing about it for the first time. In every situation, Jesus wants to be your Lord and Savior. Whether you are still unsure about this thing called Christianity or you have known Jesus your whole life, he desires to be with you so much that he leaves the 99 faithful sheep in search of the one lost and scared. Jesus wants you. In whatever condition you are in right here, right now, he wants you. He desires to sit at the table with you. We need to stop trying to do everything ourselves. You can't claim victory over sin by yourself. There is only one victor over sin that ever walked this earth, and the irony is he had to die to prove it. Jesus overcame the evil of this world so that we don't have to face our valleys alone and so that we can claim victory over death just like he did. Even though we may know this to be true this morning, we still battle with the sinful influences around us and in us. Matthew 6.24 states that no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We are wired to serve someone or something. That's how we were created. 
Don't fool yourself by thinking you are autonomous. Either you are serving other people, serving yourself, serving money, or serving your job, but I promise you that you are serving some sort of master. There is only one master that abundantly gives you rest, comfort, and eternal security. There is only one master that chases you versus you chasing it. There is only one master that can stop our hamster wheel ways of this world of never getting ahead. Jesus wants to be your master. He wants to give you his rest and comfort in every valley you face. He wants to guide and protect you as we face evil every day. Jesus wants you to be in his presence for eternity. Receive Jesus and find rest for your weary soul. Repent of your wandering hearts and let Christ be your master once again, for he truly does love you. Open up the word of God. Come to church. And let the Holy Spirit guide you from the green pastures and still waters, through the valleys, and to the spot at the table in the house of the Lord forever. Praise God for his good shepherd. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your saving, redemptive work through your Son. Thank you for granting us a perfect and loving good shepherd in Jesus. Help us to constantly be reminded of how much we need a heavenly master and not a master of this world. God, we know that the valleys you lead us through are ultimately for our own good and for your glory. Give us strength to persevere and grant us the ability to remember your purpose for our life the next time we face trouble. May your will be done, Father, and may we trust in that will. Amen.